Two weeks ago, I was sitting back near the back row over in this section over here, and a thought crossed my mind. It's a thought that maybe we don't think about when we find ourselves gathered together with God's people, sitting under God's word. But what would it have been like if you happened to be a citizen of Wittenberg when Martin Luther was there, or a citizen of Geneva when John Calvin was there, or Edinburgh when John Knox was there? What was London like for the people who lived there when Charles Spurgeon, for almost the entirety of Queen Victoria's reign, was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, or later, Martin Lloyd-Jones, what would it have been like? I've known Paul Taylor for 14 years. I'm the guy who fired him. I know that some of you know that. Um, It's one of the highlights of my career. Um, It's glorious to see Paul Taylor in the pulpit 14 years later from a college and career pastor at the First Baptist Church of Downey in Downey, California, to standing before you as a congregation of believers in Missoula, Montana. The thought crossed my mind, what will your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren experience when the name Pastor Paul Taylor is mentioned? Because one of the things that I saw in this room two weeks ago was what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote about the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, Christ and him crucified, not just with words, but with a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. That's what I saw in this room two weeks ago. And I marveled and I thought, do these people have any idea what they're sitting under? Do the people of this city have any idea what's here in this room on Sunday mornings? Because that is how moved I was to sit under the preaching of the gospel of God in this room two weeks ago. And I rejoice in that. Not because I rejoice in Paul Taylor, although I like the guy. I rejoice in my Redeemer, who has sent his Holy Spirit to come upon the man of God in the hour appointed on the Lord's day to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, who has come into the world and who has suffered and died for our sins. That's glorious. Now, what I'm here to tell you today is that this is the role of an elder. God has decided that there is going to be the church of Jesus Christ in the world. That's why we're here. Now, if we were like the Apostle Paul, who wrote to the Philippians and said, you know what, I'd kind of like to be out of here, because it would be far better to be with Christ. But as long as I'm here, I'm going to be Christ to you. In other words... There is going to be a message that's communicated to you that has the life-transforming power that will make you into an entirely different person. And you will be crafted 
and conformed into the image of Jesus Christ by simply coming to this building and doing exactly what you're doing. It's called the ordinary means of grace. In other words, God doesn't have a checklist for you to live the Christian life. He says, come to my house and sit under my word and listen. And I, through the spirit and the word, will do a mighty work in your life. And then we will see in the taking of the Lord's table that gospel in a visual form in which the message that comes from the bread and the cup is a message that says, you need me. This is what you need. You need to take me in. That's the message of the sacrament that we're going to take this morning. And that is a glorious thing because God has invited you to his house. God has invited you to his table. And the only thing that is going to separate you from the people of the world is the fact that you believe the words that are spoken to you. And you believe that in taking this element that there is a grace that comes to you. And that's a marvelous thing. I have a very simple message for you this morning, and it comes from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. If you turn in your Bibles to that one particular verse, I'll give you a little bit of background as we're approaching this verse. First, there's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel that has been preached since the time of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Grace means a work of God that God is doing himself to accomplish his purposes. And in this particular case, his purposes are to gather a people unto himself. A people that he has chosen from before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. He's written our names in the Lamb's book of life. Before creation. And the reality of how that manifests is that when Adam came into the world and was deceived by Satan, the message that Satan preached to him was, would you like to be a god? Because if you follow my way, the way of the world, you too shall be as gods. But from that point forward... The rest is a tragedy. It's a terrible story of what has happened to humanity. We have fallen into sin, and the world is under the judgment of God, the wrath of God, which is always just and right, and even as we sang good, is rightly directed against every one of us. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. And who can possibly stand? For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But that's not the rest of the story. The reason you've come this morning is to hear the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is brought forth in this simple verse. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. If you'd like to just listen, you can. If you'd like to read along, you can. Short verse. But 
May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let me pray. Father, it is my prayer request this morning that your spirit, not this broken vessel that stands before these people, but that your spirit would come upon me and fill me and that the word of God would go forth with a demonstration of power in the Holy Spirit and that you would gather in the people that you have brought forth, that you would have them draw near to God and that you would draw near to us. I pray that if there's anyone here who has not come to that place in which they believe in the cross of Christ and the message that is communicated faithfully from this pulpit. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. But Father, I also pray that every single one of us would leave this room today with the experience of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Lord, which is always our strength as we are fed and watered by the Word of God. I pray that that would all be for your glory as our desire is to see Jesus Christ lifted high, exalted to the highest place, for he has the name above every other name. And it's in his name that we ask for these things. Amen. The tragedy of the world is that the devil has come in and he has blinded the minds of those people who are called the sons of Adam. It is the obligation of the elders of the church to stand before you as preachers, men who truly love the word of God, that this is not some position of honor, some position in which they can experience some glory for themselves. No, rather, they are men of God. They are men who desire for you to know the word of God. And so an elder comes as a preacher And he comes as a man of God, one who is like Ezra, who in the Old Testament set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Like Jeremiah, who when he found himself thrown into the pit by his own people, had a fire. He had a desire in which he would say, you know what, I don't even want to talk to these people. They have so mistreated the man of God. But then as time would go on and as he meditated upon the word of God, the word of God burned in his bones like a fire. That's the same sentiment that an elder in the church of Jesus Christ should have. A great desire for people to know the truth that would set them free from bondage to sin, bondage to the lunacy that goes on in the world in which we live, and that they would know that wonderful liberation that comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and the fruit of the Spirit begins to manifest in their lives and the things of the world grow strangely dim. That's the heart of an elder. One who comes to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because there is no other message that this world can possibly come to give you any hope Because sin has brought forth death, and you have death all around you. 
Some of you are going to go out for chicken dinners at lunch and death will be on your plate. Some of you are going to pass a squirrel in the road and you're going to see death. God has put death all over this place to remind you of the fact that you too are going to die. Now, here's the travesty. The travesty is that you haven't been told that everybody that is conceived in the womb of their mother is dead. They have a dead soul. And although biologically they're alive, their souls are dead. That's why you must be born again. So this dead soul is born into this body and brings forth nothing but sin. Why? Because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 says that we have a sin nature. That's who we are. We're sinners. We're sons of Adam. We have inherited this sin from our father Adam. We have this nature that Everything, every thought, every intention of the heart is only evil all the time. That's the Bible's assessment of you and of me as we come into the world. We have a sin nature, an inherited sin, and then we go practice sin. And we find new and clever ways to practice sin. And all we do in this life is accumulate Sin after sin after sin. That's all we do. That's what human beings do. We are in rebellion against God as the sons of Adam. We have joined the devil in his rebellion against God. And we have been persuaded by his evil machinations that has brought forth nothing but a tragic world in which we live. Okay? You can turn on your phone if you get bored with me and you want to see the bad news, it's right there on your news scroll this morning. I don't have to convince you of that. You just simply have to read and then get honest that you too are a part of that rebellion against God. Now, the reason that you're here is because somehow the Lord God Almighty has brought forth his spirit and brought you here. You may be visiting today Somebody may have invited you to church today, or you may have been in church your whole life. But the bottom line is that you have a dead soul until God makes that soul alive. That's what conversion is all about. It's about the Holy Spirit coming into your life. It's about God the Father drawing you to Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ willing that you should know him and the power of his death, burial, and resurrection so that you would know that you have eternal life. Now, Bob Thompson called me this week, and he said, hey, Dave, you're in Missoula. You may want to check out the marketplace downtown on Saturday. It's a lot of fun. There's, there's food vendors, and there's people who bring in their vegetables in the farmer's market, and there's a craft fair and whatever. So I did. I went down there yesterday. And the first people that I saw were standing with a literature stand that said, will suffering end? That was the question on the literature stand. And then there was all this literature. They were very well-dressed people, very nicely dressed. And so I walked by, and I said to the woman, Jesus Christ is God. Isn't that awesome? And she just looked at me with disdain. These people hate Jesus Christ. They are of the world. And people of the world hate Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's perfect, and we're not. 
And the reality is, is that we will do anything to demote, to demean, to degenerate Jesus Christ. That's what the flesh wants to do. We are at war with God. We are at enmity with God. And that's what these people are doing. They're helping to facilitate the rebellion against God. And so I went right for the gutter. I went right for that particular point of discontention that these people have. She didn't respond. She just looked at me with disdain. I walked around and decided to come back in. Now, I listened to Pastor Paul's message last week, and he said that there were some Mormon boys that came to his house. He was tired. He didn't really want to deal with them. But 45 minutes later, he had saved the neighborhood from the Mormon boys. So I thought, well, gosh, I just listened to this message. What can I do to help Missoula? So I went and I stood in front of Joe and Laura, and I just started talking with them. And Joe eventually said, I'm going to call the police if you don't move. And I said, that's really funny because I live in America, and we have a constitutional right that we can gather and we can speak. And he said, you know what, you're right. So I stayed. I then talked to them about Jesus Christ. And I reasoned with them, and I argued with them, and I begged them to ask me any questions that they might have, any doubts in their theology. No blessed assurance. Jesus is just a great man. He's not God. But I'm telling you that you've come here today to hear about the cross. And that's what an elder does. He's a man with a message. And the message of the elder who's preaching to you should always be, the cross. Now, in your lifetime, you could never exhaust the infinite knowledge of what God is revealing to you at the cross. In other words, everything hinges at that point in history. God is revealing his perfect attributes, his very character at the cross. The world sees foolishness, Now, I want you to see a passage that really kind of links to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll start reading at verse 18 as you turn in your Bibles. But the cross is a place in which the message is just a multitude of messages coming from God. But the world looks at the cross, and you know what it sees? It sees an innocent man, potentially, who was dealt with with injustice. And see, that's what the world is interested in. I come to a city like Missoula, and I drove around looking for a free parking spot at the university so I could walk around, couldn't find a free parking spot at the university, so I just drove around. The idealism of men who have ideas, they want a utopia. They want a place in which they can have heaven on earth as long as Jesus Christ is not in that place. That's what they want. Now, God's not going to have any of that, but he's going to let them play. Now, I like coming to Missoula. I like coming to all university towns because the people who hate Jesus Christ love to gather in places like Missoula. Now, not being from Missoula, I know some people from Missoula, and there's all kinds of nicknames for your city, and I know you know them. Most of them are derogatory. Sin City, Zoo Town, you know all about those names. 
But what I can tell you about is this, that this is just like Austin, Texas. It's just like Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's just like Princeton, New Jersey. These places like Berkeley, California, are ultimately just little utopias where people who hate Jesus Christ gather together for the purpose of trying to build a better society, okay? It sounds very altruistic, but the whole crux of it is that they hate Jesus Christ and they want to do it without him. And you know how these things ultimately turn out. The city of Spokane decided that they were going to become very altruistic and allow all the homeless people to live on the city hall lawn. Well, as people in the subsequent weeks came by and started doing business at city hall, they had to step around the human feces that has now inundated the city hall property. And they said, you know what, that was not a good idea. And that's what it is. It's all speculation on how we build this utopia. Now, I can tell you this, folks. If the world has ever tried to convince you that things are getting better, the Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9 says, there's nothing new under the sun. And it's all vanity. It's futility. It's striving after the wind. And that's the reality of our world. And therefore, our hope is not in this place. We are mere pilgrims who are passing through, sojourners on our way to the celestial city. We are headed for a place that is the true utopia, and Jesus Christ is it. He is the dominant light in that place where there is no darkness. He is the dominant truth where there are no lies. He is the dominant place of love where there is no hate. Here, that's all we get is the alternative. As hard as we try, as altruistic as we are, that's what we get. And the world has always been like this, and the world will always be like this. So the elder stands before you, and he preaches, and these are the things that he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's it. That's all there is. There's two groups of people in the world. Now, I know that there's all these people running around with all these ideas that there is this racial inequality, there's this ethnic diversity that is somehow created by injustice. But all of that is nothing but fodder from the devil. There's only two groups of people in the world according to the Bible, and that's what's important. Now, those two groups, you can go all the way back to Genesis 4, and you can discover that it was right there in the beginning. Cain killed his brother, Abel. It's right there. There are the two groups. Cain is a man of the world. Abel is a man of God. When God required sacrifice because sin had separated man from God, there was blood required. Abel offered up his blood sacrifice in the form of an animal, and Cain brought his vegetables. And then, when Cain experienced the displeasure of God, what ended up happening? Envy, jealousy, hatred, violence, all of the things that the world offers us. Because why? Because Cain was shaking his fist at God. The same thing was happening at the Tower of Babel. And you would have thought that those people 
somehow would have gotten the message from Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Noah's story is Genesis 6 through 9. The Tower of Babel is right after that in chapter 11. And what do we have? Even with the judgment of God upon the entirety of the world, with the exception of those eight people who had rooms in the ark, does that ever make you think? How much room was in the ark? There was room for eight people in the ark. Why? Because God has a predetermined plan, and he has a chosen people that he is plucking out of the world. And those people are the people who are called children of God versus children of the devil. And you can read those phrases, children of God and children of the devil, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10. There's only two groups of people in the world. The Bible, as you work all the way through it, simply says there's two groups of people in the world. And when the cross of Jesus Christ, where our Savior died for his church, purchasing his church with his blood, ransoming many but not all, that's where we see the power of God. Because some of you believe. And why do you believe? Because he has sent his Holy Spirit into your heart. And I love the, the phrasing of the Bible when it says, he causes us to be born again. This is not something we do. Salvation, as your pastor oftentimes tells you, belongs to the Lord, which means that from beginning to end, it's his work, because who does the work gets the glory, and all glory goes to God in this house, and that should be the truth in every house. But somehow, these ideas from man slip in and all of a sudden, salvation somehow belongs to you. If you just do this, or if you just do that. And that was the issue in the churches of Galatia. The Judaizers had come in, and they wanted to somehow convince the people that they needed to keep the law of Moses in order to have favor with God. Do this, don't do that. And if you've ever tried that, you know it doesn't work. And that's why an elder who's a preacher will show you his marks by ultimately showing you the message, which is the cross, that you can't do this. And that's exactly why the people of the world hate Jesus Christ, because he can do it. Here on the cross is Jesus, the unblemished Lamb of God, slain for us. We couldn't do it. There's nothing we could do. There's no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus himself told his disciples in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. And how much is nothing? Nothing. And therefore, we learn about the grace of God where God is working from before the foundation of the world. How is he doing that? He's predestining his people to election. What does that mean? It means exactly what Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 Romans chapter 11, verse 5, and Romans chapter 8 and verse 30 says. Now, oftentimes people come to me and they say, Dave, I don't think the word predestination is in the Bible. Well, the only way we can find out is to open our Bible to those very passages that I just gave you. And that's where you learn that God who sits in the heavens and does as he pleases was pleased to bring forth a salvation for the people whose names he wrote in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. And 
He gave them to God the Son. He gave them to Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus Christ came into the world, he came into the world to save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He died on the cross, a purchase of blood for his people. Christ died for our sins. He laid down his life for his sheep. It doesn't say he laid down his life for the world. He laid down his life for his sheep. He loved his church and gave himself for her. Not for them, for her. And that's a beautiful thing because Jesus is not a whoremonger. He has one beloved bride, his church, the Israel of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16. These people have been drawn forth not just from the Jews, not just from that nation of the Old Testament people in which God was revealing these things to them, but in their disobedience, they couldn't do what was required of them. They needed a savior, and the prophets came and said, he's coming. Micah said, it'll be Bethlehem. Isaiah said, he'll be born of a virgin. How? Because the Holy Spirit will come upon her And that holy thing that will be in her will be the savior of the world. Not all people in the world, but people from all over the world, from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Do you want to see who those people are? You just have to look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. And you will find the people whom Jesus Christ suffered and died for. Because they're gathered around the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And they are worshiping day and night the one who gave himself for them. Who is the Holy Spirit sent to? The elder who is a preacher will tell you that the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong. Jesus in John chapter 10 was talking to the Jews. And he said, you know why you don't believe? John chapter 10 and verse 26. You don't believe Because you don't belong to me. Man, that's exclusive. That means that when God puts his love upon a people, that people is an exclusive people. And we do not have any shame about being those people because he has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And what has he done? He's opened our hearts like he did with Lydia to believe to respond. And so today, if you're sitting here and if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the only thing you can do is give glory to God because there was nothing that you were dead. You think about Lazarus in the tomb. Ah, Jesus is calling forth for me to come from the dead. Are you kidding me? Lazarus was not giving consideration to Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was resuscitated and eventually would die again. But there was one who would die, who would shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, who would be buried in a tomb, and who would be raised again on the third day. And then he would be seen by witnesses who would then take that message to the world. And that message is continuing to go to the world today. We are part of the legacy 
of those people who saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And then he ascended into heaven, and the Father said, Take this place of honor at the right hand, just as the prophets had written. And who was given all authority in heaven and earth? It was Jesus Christ. And today, he rules and reigns over all. The conflict continues. But when you stop and think about something like the Civil War, I've read history where when the South had finally conceded, news had not gotten to people who were scattered around Mississippi and Louisiana literally for months. They had no idea. They were just simply hiding out, waiting for their next instructions for war. Months. The war was over. My dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus Christ is victorious where? At the cross. He is triumphant over the devil, over sin, over the world. And now, your task, my task, is simply to let people know the war is over. Jesus is victorious. He has accomplished what we could not accomplish. He is victor victorious. He is the dread champion who's coming on the day in which the last of his elect is called into the church by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word. And when that last soul enters the church of Jesus Christ, then the end is coming. And Jesus Christ will come. And I'm telling you, that's all our task is, is simply to tell people what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. And God help us in that project. Because in this generation, the only thing that we desire is to be found faithful. Let's pray that God would accomplish that. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit sent to your people that we would be the recipients of that spirit and that we would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth, just as it is written. Lord, for such a time as this, you have placed us in Missoula, Montana. For such a time as this, you have given us your word and we have rejoiced in it. But Lord, we know that in this mission of reconnaissance, that your people who have not yet come to know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're still out there. Just as Paul was in the city of Corinth in Acts chapter 18, and you encouraged him, stay in the city. I still have more people, and there is work to be done. Lord, would you grant to us the very work that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in, a work that comes by the grace of God through the Spirit of God who is willing and doing his good pleasure in us and through us. Let that be our prayer request to you today and let it be for your glory as you answer it according to your will. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen.